This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206-842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206 206- 451-4220. Our podcast is brought to you by That's the Sum Pizza. Using a 120-year-old starter from the Klondike Gold Rush, they make unique sourdough crust that can't be found anywhere else in the world. That's the Sum Pizza also delivers wine and beer. Call 206 842 2292. Order online at thatsasum.com or download That's the Sum Pizza app on Android and iOS. Congratulations to the team of Alan Raymond and Will Grant, who brought home the first place trophy from the recent Caputo Cup at the Pizza and Pasta Show in Atlantic City. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Hey, we're here today. (laughs) Welcome to The Bystander. I appreciate you guys finding the, the podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to some local Bainbridge Island mothers who have a fundraiser this Saturday with the KIND organization. And we are going to talk about immigration and detainees and SeaTac and what's going on here in the immigration world. Um, first off, let's talk about this fundraiser that you have. It's this Saturday, correct? That's correct. It's going to be at Town Square, which a lot of people are very confused. By the way, when we had to get the permits and the insurance, you have to put in the location. And Town Square is where the farmer's market is. So between BPA and City Hall, that's where we'll be. Awesome. What time is that? 4 to 6 p.m. 4 to 6. And what's going to go on during this um, fundraiser? What are we trying to achieve? So we're trying to achieve funds. We're trying to achieve money. That's the that's the end goal. I, we'd like to educate people as well. Um, but when it all started out, uh, it's about raising money for this organization, um, which is a national organization, but they do have a Seattle office here. Um, we'd like for people to be able to come out and like share presents with each other. For those of us that have uh, a, a moral issue with the detention centers and what's happening with uh, children. And so um, in that in that vein, we're uh, having a couple of different speakers. Uh, Clarence Moriaki is going to be our keynote speaker to kind of set off the tone. He's going to be kind of tying in those uh, alignments between the Japanese internment camp and what's happening right now in these detention centers. So he's going to speak a little bit about that. Um, and then we're going to be having uh, uh, Jay Stratton. He's an immigration lawyer who will be kind of answering questions and telling about what's happening um, and why and Jay it's Jay is um, an island resident as well. Yes. Yeah. Another local islander coming together on you this. know jay uh, he's my husband <laughs> shout out to my yep. husband shout out <laughs> yeah uh, so so jay is from stratton immigration mm-hmm. and he has a background in uh, legalities regarding family separation and he immigrants. does yeah he um uh he's been practicing immigration law for about eight years now um he has his own practice and he is fluent in spanish so a lot of the families that he works with um he 
does detention work. So folks who are facing deportation, he does affirmative um, relief. So families who are looking to uh, bring other families, family members into the country. Um, and he does a lot of asylum work. A lot of his clients are seeking asylum um, or other specialized specialized forms of immigration protection, such as people who are victims of crime. Um, and he also does a lot of pro bono work with um, the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project and also with KIND. Um, we are um, close friends and colleagues with the co-legal director, Julie Bildhauer, of Kids in Need of Defense. Um, she runs the Seattle office, and she also oversees the Houston and L.A. offices for KIND. But they do have a Seattle office here downtown, <clears throat> and they basically train and coordinate uh, thousands of volunteer attorneys to match them up with children, immigrant children who are here unaccompanied um, to make sure that they have representation in immigration proceedings because otherwise the law does not provide that for them. Can you help me um, define asylum and mm -hmm. why people are seeking asylum? People seek asylum because they are fleeing violence and persecution in their countries of origin. Obviously, that can look very different depending on what country of origin you're talking about. Um, but essentially, you have to articulate a very specific um, legal definition of what the reason is that you are being persecuted. So it can be because of religion, it can be because of um, political opinion, um, and it can also be because you are a member of a particular social group. Um, and that's where there's been um, a lot of movement recently, especially from Central America, for, for example, women fleeing um, domestic violence, sexual violence, gang violence, those sorts of things to say, you know, these are not just individual um, crimes that are being committed against these folks. What they have is uh, societies where this kind of violence is rampant. And so folks need asylum from the inability of their countries of origin to protect them from societal violence. Um, Jay can speak much more eloquently about all the rest of the um, pieces that go along with an asylum application, but in our country, you've always been able to present yourself at the border and say, I need safety. I need asylum. And what, what does that asylum look like, <clears throat> I guess, is mm -hmm. more where I'm going with this question. Mm -hmm. Does that look like you're in it, setting in an embassy or you put up at Motel 6 at SeaTac? Or mm -hmm. what does asylum look like to the people that are seeking it? Well, before the current administration zero tolerance policy, <clears throat> typically what it would look like is you would present at the border at an official checkpoint. You'd have some form of intake interview you are basically entered into the system and then released to pursue your asylum application. So that involves oftentimes people finding lawyers or even not, there's paperwork to fill out. There is a process where you see a judge um, at least once, if not twice, to have a, a court date so that the court can determine whether or not your application meets the standard for asylum. While you're going through that application process, where are you physically staying? Well, previously, um, the status quo was that folks would be living with other family members who might be in the country or they'd find a place to live. They may not have permission to work necessarily, but they're not detained. If you present yourself at the border seeking asylum, it was never typically a reason to be detained or criminally prosecuted. <clears throat> if you enter the country at a place that's not an official checkpoint, then technically 
you could be considered to be crossing illegally and criminally prosecuted for the misdemeanor crime of entering, um, not presenting yourself at a proper checkpoint. But even then, previously, the policy was still, okay, we put you into the system. We know what you're, you're going to be pursuing this case for asylum and still released. Um, it's very different than folks, for example, who are being held at the Northwest Federal Detention Center, um, which is in Tacoma. Um, is that different than the detention center at SeaTac? That is different. The SeaTac Federal Detention Center is a prison. The Northwest Detention Center is a private immigration jail. Um, folks here at SeaTac who have been sent up here from some of the recent happenings down at the border. In Texas, correct? Right. Are being held in a federal prison for the misdemeanor crime of presenting themselves at crossing the border, perhaps not in an official checkpoint, regardless of whether they're seeking asylum. So I believe the number is about, there are about 200 folks at our SeaTac Federal Detention Center currently um, who came from the border recently. And um, about, Jay, a, about a fourth of those are, are children, <laughs> correct? No, the, the SeaTac Detention Center is an adult prison. Okay, so when what has been happening with the zero tolerance policy is it's become a de facto family separation policy, because if you're going to enforce this law about uh, criminally referring for criminal prosecution for the misdemeanor crime of crossing the border, not at an official checkpoint, and you're referred for prosecution and incarcerated while you're awaiting there is no bail, actually. You're basically you're being detained indefinitely. And we don't have facilities, generally speaking, here in this country that keep families together. So adults are detained in one place and children are sent to facilities in another place. So the zero tolerance policy, you know, requires, quote unquote, that the children be taken away so that the adults can be put into a federal prison for the misdemeanor crime of crossing the border, not at an official checkpoint. <clears throat> when the children are taken, it, it kind of depends what happens. Um, there are places that are more like detention centers, like some of the images that we've seen in the news media where children literally are like being held in cages <laughs> in um, warehouse type situations. But also when children are separated and then determined to be unaccompanied minors, which is a legal term of art, um, these unaccompanied children go into a different federal uh, branch of the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, which is the Office of Re Refugee settlement <clears throat> and they have their own special procedures and laws and regulations that they have to follow when they are working with these unaccompanied children. So they're held at a variety of types of facilities, um, not always those jail-like facilities. Um, sometimes they can be group homes, um, but that's where KIND, the Kids in Need of Defense, comes in. They've always worked with unaccompanied children, whether they're, you know, 12 or 14 year olds who've crossed the border on their own fleeing gang violence. And so they're considered an un unaccompanied minor when they cross into the country. Um, but now that these children who are being separated from their families at the border, now they're kind of pushed into that category as well, even though they didn't come here unaccompanied. Now they are unaccompanied. Right. So we're splitting them up basically in a lot of ways. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I don't have any of like personal experience with the reunification or lack thereof process. But, um, you know, my understanding is that the parents are given a phone number to call 
you know, they're two you calls know, a day or something. Right. Like that. Yes. And oftentimes aren't able to get through. And my understanding also is that there isn't an official process for that reunification other than, um, in my opinion, a kind of heavy handed um, say, you know, sure, we'll figure out a way to reunite you back at the border as a part of deportation proceedings. So even if you've come here to seek asylum, which generally, you know, in the past meant you would stay here and pursue your asylum application, their children are being used as leverage, essentially, to get them to leave. Leanne, I, I know Seattle Kind has helped about 1,200 kids in this situation over the last four years. Do you have any idea how long we've been dealing with this immigration process as it as we see it now? I mean, the long and the short of it is no. I mean, I know that this is not anything new. I mean, I think I know that uh, the news has been coming out a lot about how Obama did, you know, detain and deport as well. Um, in fact, mm -hmm. you know, he was actually known for one of the um, biggest deportations, but he also had the least amount of immigrants coming across our borders illegally. Um, but I think that what we're trying to say is a little bit different and why we feel that there's more of a need for for money going to these organizations like this and why the zero tolerance policy um, is not acceptable on a human rights level is because um, we're, we're losing that uh, due process because once you come into our country illegally or not, you're still protected under our constitution as a person. Nowhere in the constitution does it say you must be a citizen in order to get our due process. It says you must be a person. And so I think that's where some of us are really having that um, wake up call to try and do something else. Is that yeah, there's we a are, gut check going on yeah, right now. Yeah, there's an absolute yeah. gut check. It and I think feels, <clears throat> I mean, uh, yeah. I don't, as moms, you know, I mean, moms here on the island, moms anywhere, like parents anywhere, you cannot, you simply cannot picture. Life without your kid. I mean, to have, you know, your child taken from you in the middle of the night. I mean, I have a two-year-old. Like, um, I, we can't do that. And, and Leanne's right. Like, this is, this is a due process human rights issue. Um, we are talking about, uh, an, you know, a, a system right now in place where, like, there's no plan for unification. Mm -hmm. We're talking about indefinite detention Right. Whereas the Obama administration really made it clear that they were trying to do that 20 days, right? And trying days. to keep families together. And trying together. to keep families. Mm -hmm. Like we did not do a lot of separating. And one of the things that through this process of time in our history, uh, one of the things that I hope will come across in this fundraiser as well is um, regardless of your ideology or your political belief or any of those things, there has to be a time when you look down at your children or maybe even just look at yourself in the mirror and say, in 10 or 15 years, what do I want my legacy to be? When my five-year-old comes to me and he's studying this time of our, in our American history, what mm -hmm. do I want to say that I did or didn't do? Like, what do I want to say my part in it was? And I don't want to say nothing, right? And I do want to say I, I had a belief and I believed in it and, and I did as whatever I could to help. You know, it's that I love the mm -hmm. Mr. Rogers, the thing about look mm -hmm. for the helpers. We're mm -hmm. at a place where everyone needs to be one of those helpers. Like we need to be able to say that even though there's a lot of things going on in the media, right? So much every day that we still have to be able to pick something and to try and help. Mm -hmm. And I think that children should be a universal um, coming together that we can all say that we believe in our constitution we believe in children's rights and regardless of any administration's work, we as citizens have an obligation to stand up for that. Yeah, I think Americans, even though we think it's all going to hell from what we see, um, it's kind of happy land here. Mm -hmm. These kids and these um, parents, they're not just walking across the border at Texas right. uh, from Mexico. I, I think mostly, I, I don't know factually, but I, I would I would guess that not 
the majority of these immigrants are Mexican. I would think they're El Salvadorian, Guatemalan, mm-hmm. places where there's gang violence, there's Honduras. A, Honduras, there's a lack of opportunity to um, thrive in your life. You know, there's um, mm-hmm. death all around you, mm-hmm. and there's really very little hope mm-hmm. in that country. <clears throat> so, actually, the smart ones are trying to get out, you know, mm-hmm. and say, hey, this is not the life I want for me and my child. And then we get them at Texas, and now they're here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And this has been going on in Seattle for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, like you say, I think we've outgrown our de- detention center, and now we're actually putting people in real prison yep. with real criminals. And mm-hmm. the history of that detention center, they've housed quite a few massive criminals there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not... I don't know. It's it's not the solution that I see mm-hmm. from the outside looking in. Yeah. How yeah, do you guys feel this is going? I mean, what's the next direction? I know we have this fundraiser Saturday. There's it coincides with something that's going on in Seattle too that day. No, like, so it's around the world. It's at ten o'clock. Is the so one of the things that I was thinking about when I was trying to kind of come up with this idea of like I had to do something was that um, I do have small children, like my two year old and my five year old. They've been to four protests um, in the last 17 months, a lot, right? Yeah. Yep. And so I was like, gosh, my my five-year-old's got these slogans and it's getting kind of intense and I want to protect them a little bit. Feel and the I, burn. Feel mm-hmm. the burn, yeah. And, uh, and I needed some, uh, I needed to feel that there was something for families to do that could be impactful on what's going on with these children being detained, um, but also feel that it didn't have to be I don't know, as as intense as some of the protests are. As showy, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and something here in our community. I mean, think globally, Bainbridge globally, has, right? yeah, I mean, we have a lot of privilege here. Yeah. And um, and we have roots in, in social justice, yes, right? I mean, Woodward, yeah, we I mean, like the, the Japanese internment camps here on the island, I mean, we had, uh, you know, uh, what was his first name? Uh, Sam, was it Sam Woodward, the editor of the Bainbridge Island Review? So he was one of the ones that was that was very outspoken against Roosevelt's executive order. And I mean, and Bainbridge Island came together. They agreed. The community and the residents agreed that what was happening back then was not okay. And that was that was a little different than our country at the time. And I do believe that Bainbridge represents family and community. And I believe that we should be able to come together here on our island and do something different, right? Like we should be able to make a change here. And for those of us with small children, because one of my parts was, you know, going across the ferry and yada, yada. For anyone that's not remotely knows about Bainbridge Island, Rotary is like the biggest deal ever. And so they're doing their thing from eight to two. Um, And so, you know, something that could happen after that but still had that day of significance, right? I want to join in with the rest of the world and say, we hear you, we see you, and we we agree this is not acceptable. Like mm-hmm. pulling out of the Human Rights Council is not acceptable. And we American citizens need to let the rest of the world know that we are opposed to it. You know, we have to say something. You have mm-hmm. to do something. Yeah. Uh, how does the money that we raise directly affect a positive change in the situation? Yeah, so... <clears throat> Our event on Saturday is a fundraiser for one one organization, KIND, Kids in Need of Defense. And they are primarily a legal nonprofit. And what they do is they help unaccompanied immigrant children who are here in the United States, wherever those children are in their journey. The main thing that they do is match them up with a volunteer attorney to represent them in whatever immigration proceedings might be happening. Otherwise, they have no right to an attorney. So the the staff at KIND, they train attorneys to take these cases on a volunteer basis. And um, I think they said they've, they've trained over 26,000 volunteer attorneys. Wow. Yeah, really amazing. I mean... Um, and so those volunteer attorneys donate their time 
and in our world, a pro bono means, you know, free legal, free legal help. And I mean, I, I can't remember from one of their flyers, I think they said that they've the, have uh, been donated the equivalent of over like a billion dollars in legal time. I mean, maybe that's because we charge too much. But <laughs> um, but anyway, they have cores of volunteer attorneys at all of the offices that they have across the country. And we have an office here in Seattle. And the folks, the volunteers and the kind staff here in Seattle, they specifically work with unaccompanied children who are at um, detention facilities um, in King and Pierce counties. So, so the so I also wanted to say specifically that when folks donate to Kind either at our event or before or after in the comment section of the donate page, if you do it online, you can specify that it's um, in honor and support of the Bainbridge event, and also you can specify that it's for the Seattle Office Emergency Fund. So I mean, if we want to really keep it local, I mean the organization as a whole can always use the funds to do the volunteer uh, legal work that they do all across the country. Um, but we can make it a, even, you know, have a more of a local focus. So un- unoccup- un- a child without representation gets mm-hmm. representation. Mm-hmm. What's the process look like after that? So we've made the donation. We've got the attorney. Mm-hmm. Child gets, what, a court case? Uh, uh, um, it's different for different judge. children. Um some children who are here unaccompanied do have family members here. Um, it could be an aunt or a grandparent. Um, it could be a parent. Um, so KIND also works with not just attorneys, but with social workers um, and folks and advocates who um, help these unaccompanied children find family members who are vetted as their family members. And so um, sometimes it looks like they're in some kind of facility for a period of time, then maybe they find a family member that they can stay with while their immigration case is proceeding forward. Because they are minors, there's sort of a a dual uh, legal process that's happening because of that. So sometimes they're in dependency court at the same time that they're doing this federal immigration process. Um, so a lot of times the attorneys will, they'll have actually have two volunteer attorneys, like one to deal with like family court and one to deal with immigration court. But the ultimate goal is to get them with a family member and some kind of status so that they can stay in the United States, which is um, obviously much safer than the place that they fled from. I mean, I can't even imagine being 14 years old and traveling on foot thousands of miles just to escape yeah, gang violence. Yeah, right. And uh, a lot of these uh, immigrants get trapped in this journey that is mm-hmm. not always successful. Right. And not safe. Yeah. Not safe. And takes their money, what money they do have. And there's a lot of problems just finding water for the trip, you know, some, something mm-hmm. that simple. There's a lot of um, uh, gender-based violence that happens, too, along the way. I think um, women and children in particular are at risk in doing that journey. Um, I think it just goes back to, you know, people, they don't, go, they don't choose to go through that kind of dangerous journey, and they don't choose to face the currently draconian um, policies that exist for no good reason. I mean, these are people who need asylum. It, you know, our statute of liberty, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. come here, like, we stand for something. And it feels right now like we're not standing for what we should be standing for. Yeah. Like, Venezuela, it, I don't see how they can even fight what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> let alone how do you even flee You're kind of trapped. You're encompassed with this violence and this protocol of just nonsense that's so devastating to everyone. It's really hard to watch. And I think a lot of us now, um, we just turn off the TV and the radio and we don't look at this stuff. And we complain so much with these sound bites about what's going on here. 
and we have it really, really good here. And we need to show empathy and find solutions to other people's problems, not mm -hmm. just our own. Yeah. When a child is detained, do you guys ha have any idea how long they're in this system? No, I mean, not, and especially not right now. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I think that the transparency is uh, at risk right now and seems to be um, a problem. And I think that, um, yeah, this whole due process is not um, in effect at the moment. Yeah, they can't even keep a head count right. of We've how many lost. people yeah. are being detained here mm -hmm. in Seattle. Right. right. And it is because of the policies in place, it is essentially an indefinite detention, both for um, the adults who are, you know, being prosecuted for the misdemeanor crime of presenting not at a checkpoint. Um, but then as a result, this de facto family separation that's happening, I mean, the children are, I mean, who knows, you know, maybe they'll find their parents, maybe they'll find their parents and have to go back, be deported. This um, also has to come yeah. to a huge governmental cost. Oh, yeah. Well, and it comes people. to a huge benefit for private um, detention centers who are profiting. Oh, uh, we're in the business deal. of jails yes. and prisons and detention centers And we always have now. been, but now we're getting it. Like, I mean, yeah, there's more people in, imprisoned in USA than any other country. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it is a big business. So we don't just have to talk about what's happening, like, you know, what our government is spending. But there's there's a huge profit to this. Um, and I think that that's another place where people need to start looking like that is um, something that I do believe as just a, s people just sitting on their couch or whatever. Like when you say, like, what should I do or whatever? Look to see where the money is. Like, I mean, if you if you don't want to go to a fundraiser, or you you just feel inundated. Just at least see, like, who's profiting right now uh, from holding these children and maybe you don't bank with them. Maybe you don't buy their products. Like that, that is another thing that vote can. Vote with your feet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Vote with your, and your wallet. <laughs> yeah. Vote with your wallet because we all know where money really lies and everything, whether it's politics or what have you. Like money is, is definitely the great, uh, <laughs> the great outreach or whatever you want to say, like Democrat, Republican, whatever your, your views are, money will definitely make a difference. This is an odd question, but. And I ask terrible questions all the time, but Wonderful. this has popped into my mind as we, we speak here. I wonder why Texas is sending kids to Seattle. But now I wonder twofold, is that because the detention centers might be advertising that, hey, we got room for some and we will profit from them. So bring on your uh, immigrants here to Seattle, or is that a far-fetched well, <clears throat> idea? What I can say um, from conversations with some of the staff at KIND in our Northwest area is that we have currently an influx of unaccompanied children coming to the Northwest from the South, but those children are actually primarily um, unaccompanied children who probably did cross the border on their own. So they're sending those children up here, filling up all of our beds at facilities, group homes, whatnot, that kind normally is working with to make room for the babies and children who are being separated from their parents at the border in the facilities down there. So we have <clears throat> around 200 adults who are up here who were separated from their families at the border. Um, really only a handful of children who were separated at the border recently, but a huge amount of unaccompanied children who were in Texas and other places in the South who are being sent up here to make room for the babies and children being separated from their parents currently. Where's the end to all this? <clears throat> Heavy sighs all over the room. <laughs> right? I mean, like, I think that... Uh... I mean, I think that's the that's the great question, right? Is that that's what we're all trying to like figure out is how I mean, immigration policy is uh, difficult and it's complex and it does change a lot. Um, I think that the end for all of this for those of us that feel a moral obligation is that we don't detain people indefinitely, that we give due process, 
that there's a 20-day period for that and that babies or children are never separated from their parents. I mean, one of the speakers that's going to be at our event is a functional clinician, uh, functional medicine clinician who's going to talk about not only the effects that this is having on the people that are detained, the, the children and the parents, and how it actually will affect their genetics, like their, their genes for generations to come. But one thing that we all need to get correctly is that it affects our health as bystanders too. Mm-hmm. Watching these things that are against human rights has an effect on all of us and it takes a toll. Mm-hmm. And we have to look at that for our own. Like, I mean, if you want to have like people that are like, we need to worry about our own. This is so that this, these kinds of violations of human rights affects everyone. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And, you know, doing the next right thing, like I said before, it's going to look different for different people. I mean, immigration is, um, it's, it's law, it's policy. And so inevitably there are politics involved. Um, people should educate themselves about the different bills that are being floated um, at the federal level. They can, you know, always make their opinions known to their elected officials. They can vote to have different elected officials. <laughs> um, they, If you're an attorney, volunteer. I mean, the the main thing that I see that people can do right now is if if you're a lawyer, you actually have the skills that are needed. Like there is something that you can do tomorrow. Like go to KIND, go to NERP, Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, like find a place where you can, and it doesn't matter if you like work at a huge law firm doing contracts, like you can do this. You can take a case, you can learn how to do this and donate your time. Um, you know, they also people need people who are interpreters and, and things like that. So if you have those skills on the ground, do that. If you don't have those skills, Please give donate. your money. <laughs> give give these give organizations your money. your money so that they can train all of these volunteers to, to do this work. Because right now we're kind of in crisis mode. I mean, we have to deal with this situation right now. And that's not going to fix the bigger picture problem of what our immigration policy and laws are going to be in the future. That is something that everyone's going to have to, you know, do with their with their votes and, you know, and with their money in that sense, too. Right. And that's one of those things, Tim, that you like mentioned in the very beginning. It's like that uh, politics or fear fatigue. Right. We're all feeling a little fatigued. There's been a lot of things in the media and the news over many months. There's always a new something going on and i think new one movement, of the yeah. new movement yes exactly but you know why there's so many new movements because we've been suppressed for so long <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure because there's all these new policies there's all these new things that are coming out and so yeah. people don't know how to organize they against push, one thing pushed through so fast like the yeah. zero tolerance was yeah. pushed through so very fast, fast. yeah mm-hmm. um so i would try to say that you know one of the other things that i'm hoping that the event will do will be to give us all that boost, right? That that boost from this whole fear fatigue and this whole like, because uh, that's what's happening. I mean, like out there, if you turn on the news, anywhere you're looking at, the the spread is about, you know, um, trying to make people afraid of something, right? Yeah, we, we're selling fear right. and everything. Life lock. Everything, uh, yeah. It doesn't matter. I've, I've fallen, I can't reach my phone. A little <laughs> bell on my neck. I mean, we're constantly earthquake this. Right. Prepare for that. Right. Um, I think you're right, though, Leanne. It's um, I I really do hope that people on the island um, can just show up yeah. on Saturday to be together. I mean, we're not alone in this. I mean, I have conversations every day with individuals who feel the same way, you know, and um, I just think it would do a lot for our community morale to stand together and showing say, up means something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Let's say you have a conversation with somebody that this isn't meaningful to. What is their take? And have you come across those type of people? Either one of you. No. I mean, Other I've come people, online. Yeah. No, the things that I've found, like, so when I've gone to businesses asking for sponsorship or donations, um, the biggest, the biggest uh, pitfall that I've had is people saying they don't want to be too political. And I think that that's where I sometimes get a little less tolerant 
um, is because I say that, you know, this isn't political. I'm being very careful and I'm trying to be, um, you know, my ideology, my politics, I'm trying to keep aside. I'm trying to talk about human rights and children's rights. But at what point have we become so polarized in our nation that 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 is the automatic response of of fear mm-hmm. of I don't want to be too political. I don't want to like just seem like I'm too leftist or too liberal. We don't. It's not liberal to give human rights and children's rights. It's it's not liberal to be part of a council that uh, most of the world, except for a few communist <laughs> countries, are not involved in. That that's you you don't have to be political on that. And so um, that has been hard and and uh, and discouraging. But people on a general level, I found, have been much more compassionate. Um, and I think that it's it's the it's the children, right? I mean, it's like you just think like she was saying earlier, when you look at your own kids and you're just like, no, you know, and we have a lot of families on this island. Like we are definitely a family community. And so I think that um, I think for the most part, the individuals and even the people that have said they don't want to be too political, it's not that they don't think that what we're doing is good, like raising money for, you know, children to have attorneys and interpreters and social workers and for attorneys to be trained. They just think they don't want anyone to get the wrong idea about their business. And that's been discouraging. That they're pro or anti-immigration. Exactly. Right. Yeah, because it's too general of a label to put on anybody. And you don't have to be pro, you know, um, you don't have to be pro or anti either one of these to say that due process is something in our constitution. And we have a right, we have a a right, we have an obligation to uphold that. Mm -hmm. Like you can be, you can say, I don't want those people in our country. Fine. They still are allowed to try to, to seek asylum and they're still allowed due process. They're still they human have, beings. They're still we need human to beings. Te- mm-hmm. uh, treat them with kindness. I mean, mm-hmm. absolutely. That's what what gets me. These these damn immigrants. You know, it's <laughs> right. like really, that's that's not right. even an well, argument. Well, you have to be and, willing with those folks. I mean, I I haven't had really much opportunity. Well, you're on, on the West, island, West or, Coast, best right, coast here, <laughs> Seattle, to have those one-on-one conversations. Unlike I definitely would if I were in my hometown in Western Pennsylvania, because I mean, let's be real here. When you peel back those sentiments, what we're talking about is white supremacy. Absolutely. Um, And so having those conversations, that's hard, you know? Um, Yeah. Here's news for you. White supremacist. You are the minority now. (laughs) Yeah. And we just keep hoping it keeps shrinking. Mm -hmm. So, Wow, yeah. heavy topic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I appreciate you guys' passion. I, I can tell, um, looking you in the face and in the eyes, that you that you truly care, and this is meaningful and it's important to you. And I think mm-hmm. it should be important to everybody. But mm-hmm. what your level of participation is is up to you. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Jillian. Is one of your speakers? Yep. And is she going to talk about the mental health aspect of separation or? No, she's going mean, she will talk a little bit about that, but she's a functional medicine. So she will be talking a lot about the um, physical health. And like I said, a little bit about the the genetic imprint that basically uh, happens through these types of trauma. Yeah. Trauma, atrocities. Uh, I mean, You've seen, I'm sure, a lot of the things on like cortisol levels and what initially happens. And if any of you have children, you know that when your child gets hurt or if they're like taken away from you, God knows the preschool days are hard when you're dropping them off and they're little or daycare or anything like that. But um, that uh, that physical effect that it's having on them is is something that I think everyone needs to be able to uh, to hear and understand. And Jillian's going to give a really good breadth of uh, knowledge and information um, about how it's affecting them, how it affect their generations, and how it will affect us, and why why we should care, why we should care on that human mm-hmm. level. Yeah. What else can we talk about here? Well, yeah, I, I, I had a thought. Um, I also wanted to. I mean, there probably aren't any children listening to this podcast, but um, I think I think as parents too for our event, that it's not just that it's you know a little less logistically uh, challenging to have an event here on the island as opposed to go to a big protest in Seattle. And it's not only that we want to be with our community and in solidarity with each other um, and take a moral stand. I also think as a mom, I struggle every day with how to 
cultivate empathy in mm-hmm. my children, mm-hmm. you know, starting from super young age. And I want my kids to see me doing something, to see me taking a stand, to see that other people also care and that this ethic of um, looking out for other people um, and helping them, helping people in need is important. And I like really, really desperately want to raise children um, who are like that. That grow up with empathy. Yeah. I think you being a role model to your child is the most important thing you can do. And Mm -hmm. we often say, you know, even comes down to our devices, you know, get off that device. You've been there too long as you're holding your own cell phone. (laughs) Uh, Right. Empathy is something I talk about on this podcast a lot. It took me a lifetime to really understand what it means. Mm -hmm. And I think this podcast is my way of showing empathy in trying to find people like yourselves that promote social change for the betterment of others. Um, Before we get out of here, I wanted to touch on Jay Inslee, who formerly um, turned down the podcast quite nicely. (laughs) But I still want you on the pod, Jay. Come on out, Jay. You're a Bainbridge Islander. Yeah. I quit bothering you in the restaurants and such. Um, He came on and got some national publicity on this topic this week. How do you feel he came across? I didn't hear it, so I can't comment. Just make but. stuff up. I do all the time. Nobody facts oh. this. I heard it. I think it, I, I mean, I, I thought that um, that it went really well. I think that it's when you watch the comments, like, so if you watched it and then you watch the comments coming up about. No, I, I can't read those comments. Yeah, they're pretty bad. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would. But I like, I like how he's aggressive, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, he. And, but the thing is, is that, I mean, like, uh, he has continuously been, um, if we went just tiny, if we're just talking about him, he has been against this administration, um, pretty vocal and uh, pretty aggressive since the beginning. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm definitely proud of him, uh, happy to support him. And uh, well, and our amazing attorney general, yeah. <laughs> Pop Ferguson, oh. I mean, all over the place. I mean, they are taking a stand. I mean, I don't know how many lawsuits we're at now <laughs> against the Trump administration for various things. Um, but he lives in a land of lawsuit, though. Yes. Donald Trump. It's true. Yes. Nothing's but changing I, on that. Right? But, you know, it, it's just like having this event like, oh, why does it matter if we get together as a community and take a stand against something? Like, it matters that as a state, we are saying no. Nope. No, not here. We're not going to do that. That's not okay. And we're going to say that no matter how many times you try to make us feel tired, that we're not going to give up. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I understand taking breaks. I tell you after this one, I'm going to take a little break myself. Uh, Go back to being a mom for a little bit. But then, you know, I'll have my week or two off and then I'll be back at it. Because, I mean, we can take breaks, but we can't give up or just go, gosh, there's just nothing I can do. I can't do anything. You can. You can do a lot of things. And here on Bainbridge Island, um, this is one thing that you can do that will not be hard. Your kids mm-hmm. can come and run around. They can come and draw pictures. They can see Teacher Ellen. Everyone knows how much she's so great with the kids. And, uh, and Shout the out to can, Ellen. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And, uh, and they can be um, among like-minded uh, parents or adults or whatever mm-hmm. to, to, to have that. There is something that happens when you gather as a group with a common cause. Mm-hmm. There, there's an energy there and there is a little jolt of hope. Right. We all need a little bit of that right now. I think mm-hmm. whether you're whatever your ideology is, um, we all want a better, better place. Right. And we all want to be moral, ethical human beings. At least that's my hope, I guess I should say. Maybe not everyone does. Not but everybody. Yeah. Not everybody does. But uh, I mean, let's just continue to be the majority. Right. Mm-hmm. And let's not give up and uh, and try to keep that. Try to keep the momentum no matter how many times the new things keep coming out. Because, I mean, that's a distraction. And, and by the way, that is purposeful. Like, if you think that it's crazy that we've had so many different things to protest, march, fundraise for in the last 17 months, there is no accident there. There is there is purpose. There is meaning behind it. And the fatigue is here for a reason. And we have to join arms and not let it take us down. And shout out to Ellen Carlson at the Island Co-op Preschool. I think one thing that she's doing Saturday with the kids is making cards yeah. and 
um, things of encouragement for these children that are in the detention center. And I mean, just small acts of kindness like that go a long, long way. Mm -hmm. Ripple effects, right? Everyone believes that like, you know, you think that you can't do something, it won't matter, it won't make a difference. It will. You just have to put one foot in front of the other and do something. And those of you, like I said, that don't feel like that they can do another thing, just write a check. I mean, you can do that. And trust me, Mm -hmm. the money in this organization goes to the right people. They're doing the right things and no gift is too small or too big. No, and we talk about small incremental gifts. Uh, it, it's important to have a charity wing in, in your family and to give, and that's a way of showing empathy. Even mm-hmm. if it's just $1, if you give a dollar and I give a dollar, I've, I've doubled the input, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if she gives two, we're up to four, and now we've doubled it again. And it oh, yeah, just 25,000 people on the island? Yeah. Everyone just gave a dollar. We'd be way over our goal, guys. We only have yeah. a ten thousand dollar goal for this event. That's what we're hoping to give this organization. Mm-hmm. I need to have that event for my podcast to fund this thing. <laughs> <laughs> We've got two moms that can help you out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, uh, Evangeline Stratton and Lee Ann McKean. Give the websites where people could uh, find out more information. Um, what is it? Kind.org mm-hmm. is one. Yeah, support uh, supportkind.org. Support. And there's a donate button like right on the homepage. Mm-hmm. Super easy. And then also we have a Facebook event yep. page. Um, so it's a public kind, event. Yeah, it's a public event, kind fundraiser. You can find it. You can donate on that page as well. It takes you right to the website. Again, if you can put in Bainbridge or Seattle Emergency uh, fund that would be great just because we are trying to kind of track like can we reach our goal can we exceed our goal who knows what can happen in a in a short period of time mm-hmm. that links also on my facebook uh bystander podcast page and you can donate there today ladies thank you i appreciate your time thank, thank you. you so much tim all right be kind Thank you.